women are powerful and have accomplished great things. Yet, sometimes we suffer from self-doubt, fear, and limiting beliefs. We often believe that we are not good enough. These negative beliefs stop us from achieving our goals. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women who have experienced struggles, yet found ways to step into their power, their greatness, and learn to embrace challenges. These women will share their stories and give you insights to help you on your path so you can follow your dreams. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. Welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast. My name is Esme Lawrence. This episode is sponsored by Esme's co-author course. Esme will help you become a co-author. You write your story, or Esme will interview you and turn your interview into your story. Use your story, only 4,000 words, to inspire others, speak on stages, do workshops, or become an authority. Contact Esme today at EsmeLawrence.com. And now, my guest is an award-winning actress, recipient of the Heroes of Forgiveness Award, and has been interviewed on over 100 radio shows, podcasts, and TV shows, including Fox TV News and NPR. She performed her critically acclaimed one-woman show, My Brooklyn Hamlet, based on her life story and spoken on how to use your life story to heal, inspire others, and make money for over 12,000 people worldwide. She's a speaker, coach, solo show mentor, with clients presenting their stories on stages in the U.S., Canada, and Europe. My guest today is Brenda Adelman. Brenda, welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast. I am happy to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So I'm just going to take you back to your childhood. Tell me about your childhood and what some of the struggles you had there. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up in Brooklyn with a Jewish wannabe Italian father who uh, taught me how to shoot a gun when I was 10 wow. <laughs> and how to drive a car when I was three. Wow. They didn't seem like struggles back then. It was just like, that was Brooklyn. Um, my mom was this bohemian artist who took me traveling with her all over the world and read Shakespeare to me from the time I was three years old. So it was like living with two very different people. Right. And, um, and I feel like I got to embrace a lot of who they were, like the good parts. But my father, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn. It was very, very tough tough place to grow up. A lot of very colorful people, but you know, my neighborhood was half Jewish, half Italian, and a lot of mobsters as well. But then I would spend summers uh, once I was old enough and go away to Europe and be exposed to other cultures, which was beautiful. But growing up, my parents had a very, very tumultuous up, down, love, hate relationship that, um, you know, my father left my mother at least twice before I was 20. And there was a lot of not paying attention to me. And so I got into a little bit of trouble, you could say. Um, it definitely taught me resilience and also kind of a strength. But at my core, I'm actually soft and kind. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, it was hard to grow up like that. 
Right. So go back to when you were little, how did that um, affect you? Thus, you know, the relationship between your mom and dad and the environment that you were living in, how did that affect you as a young, young child? Well, I actually became like the emotional caretaker at a very young age. It was like where they were angry at each other and resenting each other, or my father would leave or he would cheat. I would want to, you know, make my mom feel great or, or, um, you know, they'd be together, but my father you know, wouldn't be happy and I'd want to make him happy. So I was taking on more of an adult role and not really kind of losing myself. So you were caught in the middle. Oh, oh yes. And then I also, you know, I have a brother, a half brother. We have the same mom. And um, I was very close with him. And, you know, it was really hard for him growing up because my father wasn't very kind to him. And I loved my brother. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff like that in the household. But it's so not black and white because there was also a lot of love. There were a, My mother started taking me to Broadway shows when I was about three. And I got to go, you know, to the stage door and meet the actors. And I'm sure that's, you know, helped me to like fall in love with acting, which now that I do. Right. And so tell me what are some of the struggles that you had as a teenager in high school? (laughs) Well, therein lies the rub. That was when my parents really weren't paying attention to me. And my brother was out of the house and uh, I was hanging out with the wrong people. I had very, very low self-esteem. You know, my parents modeled just a horribly dramatic relationship or what it's like to say you love someone, treat them really poorly. So I remember very clearly, I, uh, I started hanging out with the wrong, the wrong kids, experimenting with drugs, drinking, sneaking into clubs. Um, and I remember, I, and this is in my one woman show, I lost my uh, virginity to this boy that I was in love with. He worked for my father. And um, I was really going down the wrong route. And then I ran into these friends on the bus who I hadn't seen since I started different high schools and it was a big family and I told them what was happening and it was like they brought me in and I started hanging out with them all the time sleeping over their house we would go dancing at clubs till god knows what hour but like we we wouldn't be doing drugs we wouldn't be sleeping with people so I got back on the right track right so you you had no parental um, supervision as a teenager then not really yeah right and so now fast forward to now the fact that you're an adult what's happening in your life now uh, back then or now? Now, well, no, back then that, you know, cause I know you had a lot of, um, you know, like great, um, tragedy with your, uh, with your, your dad and your mom. So yeah. tell me about, go back to that day. I think it was 1995 yeah. that it happened. Tell me what happened on that day. Well, leading up to that, I actually fell in love with someone who lived in Los Angeles. I was in New York city okay. and, um, decided to move out to LA to be with him. And I had seen my parents six times during the first nine months after I moved away. I was, like I said, I was extremely close with them. And uh, on this day, I had actually, I had actually signed up for this big entertainment workshop, like how to really take what's in your heart and your creativity and, and step into the world as a business with it. I was on such a high. I met the most amazing people and I came home. And I hadn't called my fiance all day because I was just so in love with life, really. And it was unusual though, because we were really close. And I remember the place was so clean. His son was there in the other, uh, in the other room, really quiet. So both were not what usually happened. 
And I thought, wow, this is so amazing. I should spend the day away more often without uh, calling. <laughs> and then um, he told me that my mom was dead. Um, I mean, he had me sit down. He asked about my day. He was so glad that I had such a beautiful day. And then he told me, um, and immediately in my head, I knew my father had something to do with it. But all he said was that um, my father said there was an accident and, you know, that I could call. And I tried to call and there were police there that answered the phone and, you know, asked me if I knew anything. And I was just insisting I need to talk to my father, but they wouldn't let me talk to him. And um, I flew to New York the next day and, and um, went to go see my father. He wasn't in prison yet, but I went to go see my father. Um, first, I went to see the cops and the cops told me that there was a dead, uh, what did they say? Um, basically what happened is my father had a lawyer call and say there was a dead body in the house and they were trying to make it look like there was a burglar in this uh, you know, upper middle class neighborhood. Yes. And um, with mafia that did actually <laughs> make it so that there weren't burglaries. And um, and uh, the police said there were eight hours before the police were called that, you know, how, how it would unfold is we, my brother and I went to go see my father. My father said that there, they were fighting for days. Then there, then my, uh, finally he went upstairs to go to sleep. Next thing he knows, my mom's on top of him in the dark with the gun it went off and he don't he didn't know who pulled the trigger. Wow. But as I would find out, you know, what I thought was, oh, it must have been then in the body somewhere. This it was point blank range in the head, eight hours before the police were called. My father's guns, which he had several of them, you know, were cleaned up. So that's what happened. Wow. That is oh, that is so sad. I, I am so sorry for um, that happened to you. Thank so you. then when that happened, how did that make you feel? Like how did it affect your self-esteem and your whole world? Yeah. It's it's changed now. So yes, tell me more I'm, about I'm that. Talking about this now, she's not, you know, <laughs> taking me down a dark path. I've been talking about this for 15 years. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, what happened at the time is I went into shock. My system was in shock. I could not like believe my father did this, even though the facts pointed to it and I knew he did it. Emotionally, I was not ready, maybe even capable of accepting that my mother and my father were gone in one night. Because along with you know the, their tumultuous relationship, I was the caregiver. I was the one who took care of them. I was always thinking about them and not myself. So it was like my, everything was just ripped away from me. And uh, I went into a pretty bad depression. I would have to go back and forth to New York to take care of, you know, business, clean out my mother's house, um, my parents' house. Uh, and um, my father, you know, was back and forth talking with the police. He ends up getting arrested a year later and going to prison on a plea bargain for in involuntary manslaughter because the gun wasn't found. And there was a possibility he wouldn't go to prison for murder without the gun being found because there was a cleanup. So, so anyway, that first year I was going back and forth and I, I took a leave of absence from my job and I was a wreck. If anybody were to ask me about my parents, I, I would say my mother died and they'd say how, and I'd say it in an accident. And then they might say, oh, what, was it a car accident? And then I just burst into tears. And a year after, a year after she died, I got back into acting class and it was like the start of me healing in many ways this was my past i was already uh, an actor in that i got to start expressing what was going on 
inside my feelings through characters. I was still hiding, but I was able to play these big characters that were sad, mad, scared right. you know, on stage. Um, and then from there, I started writing my story a couple of years later, though, which was the next iteration of my healing, which is why it's so important for me to teach to people. And then I created, I, I performed my story in a storytelling exercise on stage a couple of years later, thinking, I, well, I, I was like so scared of being judged. I had so much shame. I hadn't done any of the inner work that I've done these past 20 years. And, right. uh, but I just had an inner guidance. I had to get on stage and be myself. And it was a turning point. It was a standing ovation, 100 people in class, top class in LA. A director wanted to work with me. A producer wanted to work with me. And, and that started the ball ro rolling with my one-woman show. But I would do the show uh, maybe a year later People would laugh, people would cry, and I'd go home and be absolutely miserable because I hadn't done the inner work. So then I went, got a master's degree in spiritual psychology, and have done a ton of inner work since then. And right. So how did that, that tragic situation, how did that affect your relationship with, um, with your dad? Oh, gosh. Such a long, <laughs> such a long process. Um, well, I, I couldn't accept the fact that he did this. And so I went into denial. That's why I have a three-step forgiveness process. And the first step is moving out of denial and into acceptance of what is. Because while I was in denial, even though all the facts were there that he did this, I knew he did this. There had been, my mother had had to get, had to get a restraining order years before one time because he, she said he put a gun to her head. And back then, I was like, my mother must be lying because she took him back, right? So there's right. like so, so many things at play only later did I realize no she wasn't lying um but I so I went into denial I went into a spiritual bypass in like well whatever happened since I'm not believing the truth of what happened execution style then I better you know just go into well I love my father though I don't want to lose my father so I was fighting against my intuition and fighting against my own self-honor. So I had an on-again, off-again relationship for him, with him that first year before he went to prison. Um, and I think for several months of that year, I didn't speak with him at all because I would say, what happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? And he would, of course, not want to tell me. And, um, and then he went to prison. I would write him in prison. I would write him and say, what happened? I just need to know. You know, we all are like, we just need to know. like that answer would have really given me any peace. It would not have. Let me say, I'm clear yes, about that. Exactly. It would have brought my mother back. Right. Um, but then a year after, I said an ultimatum because I realized I was living so much of my time in hope that I'd get the answer and somehow I'll be able to have my dad back, you know, my inner child. And I said, dad, I, I love you, but you need to tell me what happened uh, or else you know, or don't write me back. And he stopped writing. And wow. so, yeah, it was dark. That was a dark time of loneliness for me. Cause I also in that, in that time broke up with my fiance. I really believe like every relationship takes work, but I believe that we broke up because I felt so incredibly unlovable and I didn't want to be seen. I mean, I'd be crying for hours every day. And I, I think that's probably why I broke up with him, you know, just feeling so shameful. I felt damaged because of what happened with my parents. And um, so, yeah, he went to prison. Then we didn't speak. And while that was a really lonely time, it was the best thing I could have ever done for myself as far as, you know, um, 
finding myself, finding my self-worth without having to think about my father. And when he got, I did visit him in prison once only because I'd be thinking about him and thinking about him, right? So viewers can think about that. Like you push someone out of your life. That's, I, that's what I call a hard boundary versus a healthy boundary, which I talk about in the book too, is uh, you push people out of your life because you can't handle the relationship with him. But he was so taking so much head that I was guided to go to New York and go surprise him in prison, right. <laughs> which I did. And how'd that go? Uh, well, he married my aunt. Did I mention that? No, you did not. He married your aunt. So your mother's sister. Yes. So, so did she not know that um, he no, killed she, she, her sister? She knew. I've done so much, you know, reflection on this. And I'm very close with my mother's other sister and my brother. You know, people do things for many different reasons. I think, you know, if people have a lack of empathy and they're just thinking about themselves, if, whether you call it narcissism, you know, then their sex addiction, mental illness, like you throw that all in. Right. And people do what they need to do for themselves. And so my aunt at the time certainly was uh, not making much money in her life. She was divorced. She was the kind of woman that was, you know, jealous of other women. And she had her own. Right? I've done a lot of work in passion for her because that's a whole other thing. Like when I perform my show, half the people are as mad at my father and half are like, how could her sister do that? I know. I'm shocked about her sister, actually. Yeah, so here's where the tie-in of knowing my life is exactly in the order it's supposed to be, is that, so here I was in acting class, and my one-woman show is called My Brooklyn Hamlet, because in Shakespeare's Hamlet, his father is killed by his uncle, and his uncle marries his mother. And that piece of information, too, because mother read Shakespeare to me for the time I was a little girl as a bedtime story and so then I was like someone in life has gone through something like I did and I'm not yes. alone and it gave yes. me solace it's also why I talk about my story so openly you know I'm like honored by what people tell me because I'm open enough to say not only does crazy stuff happen but you you can get through it you can right. be happy you can be a contribution because of what you went through or despite right. it however that works for you. So yeah, so he, he actually married my aunt somewhere in those first few years. And um, so when I went to the prison, I, I went with an ex-boyfriend who I was still friends with in New York. And sure enough, oh, I had, I had not done any forgiveness work on my aunt who married my father. I'd done it on my father, but I was so angry, but she was there. She was there at the prison, but the friend that I went with ended up like going to her and I, I visited with my dad. And then, um, you know, we could really only heal to a very surface level extent. I didn't know anything about narcissism then. And um, so then when he got out of prison, we did, we spoke on and off for a while. How long, how long was he in prison for? Only two and a half years. Two and a half years. Wow. Taking another's life. Yep. Yeah. Good behavior. Wow. And, um, <clears throat> and then when the thing that's, the thing that I did, I got into a master's degree and I had got a master's degree in spiritual psychology. And in that program, I learned what a healthy boundary was for the first time in my life. And I learned that, you know what, for me, I had the option to take my father to court for wrongful death because he got out in only two and a half years. He never said what he did. And so my brother and I, my brother had wanted to do that from the beginning and I, I didn't. So I, my brother and I took my dad to court for wrongful death. And when I did, he skipped town with my aunt. They went to Florida where you can hide your assets 
Wow. And, um, my brother and I got a $2 million judgment, wrongful death, but my father didn't have to show up. I know that at the time. That was another hit <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then they didn't have to pay the judgment. And so I had to, I had to forgive despite it all. Right. So, so go back, so go back to it. Cause I know you had a transformation. So go back to the day that you started your transformation and what happened, what you did to, um, to be able to forgive such, um, such evilness. Here's one really big. I, I, I remember very clearly. Oh, this was so big. Um, this was the first one. And then I had another second one. I I've had several, but these two were the biggest. Um, the first one was I was in that master's program. We would meet one weekend a month for two years. And we were the second year of the program was working with your most challenging relationship. And that was my father. And we would create like we would create a plan, like how are we going to make that relationship better? And we would create an assessment to see how we're doing. And my plan was I'm going to talk to my father once a week so that I can create this relationship with him. <laughs> And then as I was doing homework for the program, I was like, that's not what my intuition says. That's not what my heart says. That's, that's not self-honoring. Oh, I can set a healthy boundary. And the healthy boundary is that I want to speak to this man less. I don't want him in my life, but not from, I hate you and you wreck my world and look what you do you've done. I was able to look, look at the assessment and say, where do I allow myself to hurt myself? Cause I'm thinking of him. So if he calls, I would get all out of sorts. So like looking at those measurements, let me see what was happening. So then I was like, okay, I don't want to see him. Now, how do I work on this upset I have when he's not around where I'm still bonding myself to him because of my thoughts. And so that's what I did. I worked on, um, I, I worked on finding compassion for him. So I could stop being in judgment of him because again, that judgment comes right back at me. And then the second thing that I did that was, well, yeah, the second thing I did that was, took the healing completely to the next level was it was after I graduated that program, I was taking a, a class at the spiritual center. I was going to Agape in LA and, um, oh, there was a final project and what came forward for me was a poem about my father and I. Uh, and it was all about the oneness. I got that if I hate a part of him, I hate a part of myself. Right. And I was no longer willing to do that. And I realized that while I hated him, my heart was closed to him. And I realized that if my heart was closed to him, it was also closed to myself and closed to other people that were close in my life. Right. So true. Yes. And I went to the top of a mountain and I did a ceremony of release, which I I perform on stage when I do my show and I took what a hat that he had a fedora hat that he had and I uh, I recited the poem and I threw the hat over and it was literally like energetically like the other stuff I was working on mentally but energetically something just just released and all that um hatred for him which was turning in on me it just disappeared so it was with conscious awareness and taking action and being very deliberate. I even had a huge breakthrough. I was performing my show earlier this year. I had a huge breakthrough. That's why I'm such a big proponent of not just writing your story, but even jumping into the characters of your story. Because when you're a good actor, you cannot play someone just as a villain because people don't play themselves as villains. Right. Um, but I, ha oh, it, the breakthrough happened was because of the Father's Day before this one, I knew 
I wanted to take my power back specifically around shooting guns because I used to shoot guns when I was a kid and I, I hadn't shot a gun since my mother died. And so a friend of mine took me, uh, took me with him to a gun range and I got out some <laughs> anger. I'm a very conscious person. So it's not like, ah, I don't <laughs> lose myself. I have a lot of things that I do to support myself. But I, I took the target sheet home because I was thinking, hmm, maybe I can use it in my show. <laughs> And then my life wasn't working that well. This was about a year ago. I was like, everything was stuck. And I look over at the target sheet in one of my rooms and I'm like, I have to do a ceremony of release. So I went in the other room and I set the target the same every time, even though I like to be in the moment and work with the audience, it's pretty much the same. It's the part where I find out that he shot and killed her and I'm confronting him for the first time. And I'm saying, you know, what happened? What happened? And I'm usually really angry. And this time, when the gravity of what happened reaches me, I broke down sobbing. That had never happened in all these years. Like, I go through the next part of the show, but I, I literally broke down sobbing. Like, if I wasn't as trained, uh, a skilled actress as I am and been coaching and done all this work with spiritual psychology, I would have literally laid down on the stage and sobbed for the rest of the time. But instead, what happened is... I played through it. I got my words through just like it was in life. And it was one of the most like mesmerizing performances for the audience and a bonding experience and incredible. But what it was, was the sadness. I still had that sadness locked in 20 years later, locked right. in behind the anger. And it was such an incredible like release. And then I was able to change something else in my show the next night, which was after my mom died, I had a direct experience of what spirit is or God or presence or whatever it is, like knowing I was held. And always I'd been talking about that in my show, but not acting it. And so, excuse me, I would think it was two nights later. It was right in my script, the answer. So I went from that place of just trying to get through, like so many people are in that place of how do you get through when you're so heartbroken and this and that to showing the audience the experience of what it was like to know. I wasn't alone and, and yeah, so the show has been incredible and the healing was incredible. And, and that's because I'm always open no matter how much work I've done to what's next. Right. How can I learn something more about my family and myself today? How can I heal more today? How can right. I help more today? Right. Now, is your dad still alive? No, he, he died in 2004, but okay. I had done the healing work the forgiveness where I threw his hat over the mountainside right. before he died. So what was so incredible is that when he died, I grieved as his daughter, but I wasn't like, Oh, regrets or, Oh, you know what I'm saying? Cause I had already right. done the work. That's why it's so important to teach this work so that you don't have to be in regret after someone passes. Right. And what about your aunt? <laughs> These are great. These are great questions. <laughs> What's going on with your aunt? <laughs> well, I was not as easily forgiving of my aunt as everybody else, which is so ironic because I've been teaching about forgiveness and coaching since like 2006. And I teach people if there's someone who has hurt you or betrayed you and you have not healed it, even if they're in another place. Even if you don't even see them, it's going to show up in your life. Because it did in my life. Like a few years, you know, I could teach that. And then a few years later, someone would show up that had qualities like my aunt. And I'd be all out of sorts, no matter right. how much work I did. But I still didn't go back. I still was like, just compartmentalize. I teach the opposite, right? So listen, everybody. <laughs> I consider myself a wounded healer. But what happened was, though, 
oh my gosh, this was like maybe four years ago. I was in Virginia visiting my other aunts and just by synchronicity, um, my aunt who married my father, her grandson lived like 10 minutes, moved to be like 10 minutes away from my aunt who I saw all the time. Like that's when you know like there's a bigger picture because they're all, all from New York. Otherwise I wouldn't have, have had any information about my aunt after my father died. Right. Um, so it's Thanksgiving day and my, uh, I guess he's my second cousin, decides he's going to call his father, my cousin, my aunt's son, who I haven't spoken to in 23 years or whatever, who I was so angry at, like he took that, her side. And, and so he calls him and I'm there. I want to talk to him, my cousin. I want to talk to him. <laughs> and I get on the phone and um, instead of anger coming out, I remember a story from when I was 20, when my mother and I visited my Aunt Jeanette um, for the holidays. My father and my mother were separated at that time. And we got into, my mother and I got into a car accident on the way home. And my father wouldn't come pick us up. And my, my cousin, who was on the phone, came in the morning. And got, it was like a hero story for him. That was the story that came out after all yes. those years. Yes. It was a hero story. Literally, two days later, my aunt dies. So she had had Alzheimer's. I found out she had had Alzheimer's and was destitute, uh, pretty destitute. And so I'm, I was going from a conference in LA, driving back to San Diego Ram, and my aunt Meryl calls and says, you know, Aunt Jeanette died. Aunt Jeanette slash stepmother. And I go, whatever, <laughs> the forgiveness yeah. that I am. And we get off the phone, and I see this vision in my um, in my head of my mother and that's a picture of my mother right there by the way I oh it's a beautiful photo it's a beautiful. yeah i love it um i see this vision of my mom with her arms like this welcoming her sister to the other side with love oh and i just start sobbing and i start thinking i am still holding on to this righteous anger for my mother who died what, 23, whatever, how many years ago? And all on the spirit level, all it's about is love. Right. It was a huge, huge breakthrough for me. And I just thought, oh my God, I've been holding on because it always affects us somewhere. Always. Yes. I'm like, I've been holding on to this anger and righteousness toward my aunt. So, you know, the second step of my process is giving up the need to be right. Right. Okay. So, so I mean, now you're this um, awesome teacher about forgiveness. So talk about the first step, second step, third step. Um, how do you teach people how to forgive? Well, Especially when something crazy happened, like what happened to you. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's my story inspires people, right? It does. They, they look at it or hear it and they're like, well, she could forgive and she looks pretty happy. <laughs> and they're like, you know, creatively expressed. You know, because I, I, um, I teach it in several ways. It started out with me doing my one woman show because I was already an actress, right? And so what happened is people would, you know, watch the show and be deeply moved and think about their own lives, right? It's not preachy, but they would see the benefit. And then there was a minister in Sedona who knew me and knew my work and said, you know, you should start teaching workshops on forgiveness after people see your show. So that's how that started. And then the coaching started. So but when I had to do that workshop, I was like, well, let me look back at my process. Why did I lose so many years to depression? Yes, it was shocking, but, but what was the process? And I realized that the thing that was missing 
for me until I really healed was my healthy release of my anger. I couldn't even get in touch with it. So that's it. that exercise is in step one of my process. So it's moving out of denial into acceptance of what is, because as long as I was buying into my father's story of what was happening, even though it was completely against my intuition, I couldn't really heal. I couldn't stand in my power. I couldn't create a powerful life. And in that step is um, healthy release of power. I did it in several ways. I actually went to a, like an in-person primal scream workshop after my two years. So and what is that? What works? What is that workshop? It was pretty, it was life-changing for me because I took the two-year master's program and I couldn't really, I was like, and a lot of people are like, I don't have anger. Oh, I don't have that. Oh, it's, you know, it's like, that's where I was. I'm all, I'm all good. Yeah. Especially as women, we're taught, like ingrained in us not to be angry. So even though we have right. anger, we don't realize it. So for me, it would show up as I, my addiction of choice was overeating and overexercising. So I wouldn't get in touch with my anger. I would just do those addictions and then right. my head would with why am I gaining weight or hurting myself and like oh I can't I work out again instead of dealing with the real issue which was my anger against my father so I after graduated the master's I um this primal screen workshop it's so funny I couldn't even get it what was so great about it is it was a group because I alone could not get in touch with my anger but then there's these people these women and men that are like you know, <laughs> screaming and everything, and it unlocked something. I mean, the woman who ran it was like this earth mother, so it was very, very safe. Um, it, we did something that I'm pretty sure we did something that I had done in my master's program, but just once, which was like it's called bataka work, where you're like just energetically getting the anger out of your body. Yes. Um, and then really primal screams came out, and there was something huge that healed for me. But what I do with my clients is I give them something called freeform writing, which I learned in that master's program. It's different from journaling because you're never rereading what you wrote because otherwise it re-anchors the, the emotional energy back into your body. But it is literally how I released layers and layers and layers of anger toward my father. It was, so then um, you would write, you would write and then never look back on what you're writing. Right. So what would you do with the writing? Do you burn it or what would yeah, you do? You, you burn it. You burn okay. it. Don't look at it, burn it, get it out of the house. Don't have it stored because everything's energy. Right. Uh, two minutes to two hours, no longer than two hours. Cause it's not about doing in our emotions. It's about expressing them in a healthy way, in a conscious way. And no, no less than 15 minutes because sometimes, you know, if you're just putting pen to paper, you might, be writing and you're not thinking you might be writing something superficial or I gotta go to the store I gotta pick up my child I have to do you know but usually right. at 15 minutes you'll get to something deeper so yeah and then you don't and there I mean there's more specificity to how to do that but yes then you get rid of it you don't have it in the house in the house oh I see actually, well, actually I had to forgive my dad because he he left my mom a single mom with um four children and she was living in the ghetto in Jamaica. And so I held it against him for years. Mm -hmm. But I realized that, that um, anger, holding that resentment um, against my dad affected me, affected how I see men. Because yeah. I, never, I never trusted men. You know, oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't oh, trust. God, I didn't trust him for a while. <laughs> I didn't trust, you know, and it took me a while to realize that in order to, um, you know, to move on with my life, I have to forgive my dad. So what I did, I wrote a letter to him. I said, I forgive you. And I burned the letter. You know, Good. and yeah, so that's what I did. That's how I broke broke away from you know Good. that anger because yeah, because because you know there's this misconception that that anger keeps us strong, and in the mm. beginning, sometimes you need that depending on the circumstance. But then it turns in on itself. Yes. So yeah, I I yes. really didn't trust men. Oh my God, the poor men I went out with. <laughs> 
I mean, I have, I have an interesting twist to my story because I started working in that master's program on, you know, really what it's about is trusting yourself. If you trust yourself to make a wise decision, then, um, then you'll choose a wise person to be with. But what, what happened yes. for me is that I, uh, a little bit of tangent, I, so I put together this like wheel of qualities I want in the person. And basically for the first time, I was thinking not for someone to, to complete me, but like, what qualities do I love about myself? And that's what I want in the person, you know, sense of humor, self-expression, yes. whatever. Somebody, but, to, somebody to compliment you. Exactly. Not to complete you. <laughs> right. We're enough. Because if, if we don't feel like we're, we're enough, enough, we are enough. Yes. We are more than enough. More <laughs> than what, enough. But yes. <laughs> but what happened was I didn't put man in the center. And so I ended up falling in love with a woman. Oh, that's a twist. <laughs> yes, that was a twist. I fell in love with, I had no idea that I was technically bisexual because uh, I enjoy men and I like men. But partly, if I, if I, inwardly, what happened, the reason why I know the relationship worked for as long as it did, or why I allowed it to, is because I did not trust men. So I would go out with a man, and if there was like one little possible red flag, my heart cut down. You're gone. (laughs) Right. I was. I'm not proud of it. Um, But I was. And then with a a woman, I I wasn't like that. Like that pattern was like oh well it's a woman so even though I don't like that I can learn from this now you know we ended up getting married and everything but um there were things that I let slide because it was a woman and so but but we broke up like five years ago and I've been with men only men now but I still see it's not that I don't trust men because I've done all this work but it, it is a process of loving ourselves and trusting ourselves enough right. but right, you have to let go of that anger toward that other person because otherwise we'll project onto the person we're we're meeting now exactly and because yeah because it's our baggage we carry a baggage we dump it onto the next relationship and it's not going to work <laughs> exactly and for me my pattern was you know I'm not going to be hurt again. I can't possibly lose my whole family again and, and stuff like that. I still, you know, I'm teaching something right now about um, forgiveness and romantic relationships because I realize I have more to do since that, the marriage breakup. I've had a couple of boyfriends and I date, but um, there's a part of me that's like still like mm, just not willing to really open my heart. And so I'm looking at it myself. It's, you know, I'm in, as long as I'm in this body, I'm going to have things to look at and I'm willing to like be a beginner in some areas or just dive more deeply into places. I don't know if you're like, sometimes I think I got it. And then it's like, oh no, you no, don't. don't. <laughs> you know, so, so now I'm being really open. Yes. I'm really being open to, to learning the lessons more consciously and wherever I am shut off, I'm, I'm, I'm opening. Right. So Brenda, so what is your legacy? I feel really grateful. I reached a lot of people with my message. Like I said, I've performed my show alone for over 12,000 people and I've spoken and I've been a guest on probably a hundred podcasts and TV shows and radio shows in addition to my courses. I feel like, you know, and some of those audiences, domestic violence coalitions, women prisoners, youth at risk, and the workshops that I've done, it's like there was this one girl in a youth at risk program. It was in um, Hawaii. I, I did scenes from my show and then I talked about self-forgiveness. And at the end of the, the work, I said, so what did everybody learn? And she was, I think she was like eight. And she said, eight or 10, she said, I learned that I am not 
um, it wasn't my fault that my dad left my mother. Like yeah. that changes people forever. And I feel yes. like my legacy is that I have, I've put it out there in a, a, a lot of ways so far so that people can learn to love themselves and learn to not take over responsibility. And that's why I'm so, so on fire with this still. And, you know, next year I'm going to recommit to performing my show more and getting my courses into more hands and, and my, and my Kindle book. Right. And I love the fact that you said you're on fire. That passion is what's, what's going to drive you. So now what would you like to share with our audience? As far as uh, a gift? Yes, a gift or yes, that would be great. <laughs> Look, I have my book, but I have a digital. Uh, I'll, um, I would love to gift your audience with a digital copy of my book. Awesome. My mother and married my aunt, Forgiving the Unforgivable. It has my three-step forgiveness process in it, and it's also memoir. So it shows why I do each exercise in the order that I do it in. Right. Uh, so I'll get you that link. And... Um, yeah, just be kind to yourself. Be loving to yourself. Look at the choices you've made in life where you think maybe you could have made a better choice. I think people don't do that because they beat themselves up. Instead of beating yourself up, think of it as, as a time. It's like a call for more self-love. Right. Call for more self-love. And that, on that note, Brenda, thank you so much for um, being an awesome guest on Sprinting to Success podcast. Thank you so much. So I teach um, people how to forgive, how to tell their stories on stage, and also how to uh, tell their stories and be authentic on video. And I am sprinting to success with Esme Lauren. Woohoo! Thank you so much, Brenda. And thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success podcast. And have an amazing day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to EsmeLawrence.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.